Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. With every human being on earth, you just want to be seen, heard and valued. And especially coming from the entertainment industry, that is what a lot of people struggle with because you're constantly having rejection and rejection, rejection from the castings. With Peloton, it's lovely as well because you know, there's a thing that in the monastery was trying to be a service and that will fulfill you. If you're of service, it gives you more meaning. I do feel like I am of service to whoever's on the other side. If I can make one person feel a little better about their day, then it's such a, a lucky thing to be able to do for people. My name's Sam Yo, and I'm a modern minority. Welcome to Modern Minorities. This is the show about work and life, told through the lens of what makes each of us different. I'm Sharon Lee Tony, a Chinese-American girl born and raised in New York City. And I'm Raman Segal, an Indian-American boy who came from Alabama with a banjo on my knee. Through conversations with some really interesting people, we uncover the stories, perspectives, and often unspoken truths about how our guests uniquely experience the world. It doesn't matter where you're from, the color of your skin, or who you love. We're all minorities somehow, but we're no one's model minority. This is a show about all of you, for all of us. Today we're talking to Sam Yo, one of my personal workout heroes. Sam is a Peloton instructor who draws his professionalism from a variety of backgrounds. He's been a monk in Thailand. He's been in the entertainment industry, and he's a real veteran in the fitness space. We had so much fun with Sam learning about his journey to where he is today and digging deep on some really nerdy things too. What did you think of our conversation? <laughs> I love when we get these kind of folks that seem like they might be too cool for school. And they're obviously super nice and super relatable, and we have a great time. But then when I discover, oh, you're one of my people, you're, right. you're an equal nerd to me. <laughs> <laughs> so that's always a treat. And I think he has such a wonderful perspective based on just his experience growing up wasn't too different from ours, just yeah. in a different country, honestly, a little bit more diverse than I saw. But you know, there was that like, while I wasn't in a minority bubble, you know, I hung out with the Thai kid, I hung out with the Chinese kid, I hung out with, a you know, minorities kind of stick together. And I yeah. feel like in the part of London he grew up in, that was a part of his upbringing and it kind of shaped how he chose to view the world and relate to his own culture. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I also find him pretty fascinating because to me, to be a Peloton instructor, you need to be front and center, comfortable with totally being the spotlight. And, you know, to be honest, you, you've got to be the fitness person. You've got to play the part. You've got to look a certain way. And yet at the core of who he is, he has those deep spiritual principles that he he gained in the monastery. And that's such an interesting perspective that he brings into both the entertainment space, the fitness space, but also just to, to who he is and, and how he approaches the world today. And so with that, we hope you enjoy our conversation with Sam. Sam, welcome to the pod. It's so great to have you here, sir. Thank you for having me. Sam, people have heard of you, but I guess... <laughs> The thing folks might want to know is, where are you from? Where am I from? 
Uh, that's such a, a funny question, isn't it? Because when people look at you, you go, oh, where are you from? And you're like, well, I'm from London. And then they usually say, well, where are you really from, Sam? Yeah, that's the thing. So my heritage is Thai Chinese. And I was being brought up first generation Thai Chinese in London, UK. And what was that like growing up as a Thai Chinese kid in the UK in the not so distant past? Well, I was very fortunate growing up because I grew up in East London and there were a lot of first generation kids that I connected with. One of my friends, he was half Chinese, half British. My other friend, he was Ghanaian. And I had another friend who was from Pakistan. So we all were in this minority bubble together. And the beautiful thing about growing up for me was I learned a lot about other cultures, just being around kids from different cultures. So I didn't really experience being different in a sense until I moved out that bubble as I got older. What did you want to be when you grew up? (laughs) I wanted to be an architect, I remember. Oh. Yeah, I remember I wanted to be an architect because my my aunt said, oh, architects are great. They make lots of money and blah, blah, blah. And then I realized how much you had to study to be an architect and that you had to, <laughs> and that you had to be good at maths. <laughs> no, no, no. I'll, I'll, I'll be an actor instead. <laughs> so your aunt said be an architect. What did mom and dad want you to be? So my mom and dad were strange in the sense they weren't Asian in the fact that they wanted me to be one of the, the super holy trinity, a doctor, a, was it a lawyer, an accountant. I, they, I love how in the UK, accountant is number three. I think in yeah, the US, right? it's an engineer. <laughs> it's an engineer. <laughs> it's an engineer. So what my parents wanted me to do was just to work hard and whatever mm-hmm. I chose to do. Mm. And they wanted me to have a sense of security in whatever I did because it, security when they grew up in Thailand, they, they weren't that well off. So it's something they never had. Yeah. So they said, just make sure you've got security growing up. So I took that information and I studied acting. That, that's <laughs> it, because those two are directly related. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> yeah. As a, as a little kid, did you ever go back to Thailand? Or what was the Thai culture in your household? Was it, Were there close linkages to the quote-unquote motherland or... Were your parents blaring Thai music around the house and making you eat food when you just wanted to have fish and chips? <laughs> oh, my God. I, I do love fish and chips. So actually, I was the one playing Thai music in the household. My dad would play, <laughs> like, he would play Bob Marley. He would play Lionel Richie and the Beatles. And that's my musical knowledge from my father. And that, what, that's stuff I take today on to when I teach. But mm-hmm. I used to go back to Thailand like every year in the summer to visit my grandmother. And I used to buy cassette tapes of all the latest Thai music and just listen to them. And it was lovely going back to see my grandmother because she would tell me stories. And that's when I really felt connected to my heritage because when everyone speaks the same language, there's a sense of unity there in the Mm -hmm. household. And so going back to becoming an actor, how did your parents respond to that? When you told them that's what you wanted to do, and and how did you how did you stumble upon acting? So I've always loved movies and like just pop culture in general. I mm-hmm. I just remember watching Michael J. Fox in Back to Future. I think, oh my god, I want a DeLorean. 
I want to be a time traveler. And it was just those little things growing up. And when I did get into acting, I did it on the sly because I, I did dance first. I did martial arts and I went from martial arts into dance and I studied contemporary dance and ballet. Interesting. And I actually didn't tell my parents that the school I enrolled in was a performing arts school. I told them it was like to do with stage and building stages and stuff like that. <laughs> so it actually, and it was, wasn't till like six months into it. And they came to one of my reviews and they saw me dancing and they, they enjoyed it. They, they saw that I was happy. And um, so I like, yeah, I, I didn't tell them at the beginning. I, I think it was just because they saw I was, it fulfilled me and I was happy that they, they thought, okay, he'll, he'll get over this phase eventually. Right. Right. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Several years later, he's still yes. dancing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So one of the things you're known for, obviously, is your work in the fitness sphere. And mm-hmm. when did those, I would imagine, my, my gut tells me you have always lived a healthier lifestyle than me. I could be wrong, but uh, <laughs> as, as an actor, as an entertainer, that seems significantly more active than some of the corporate startup-y things I did. But when did you start to get that inkling that, oh, I think I might want to do this other thing in, instead. So, you know, I have always been active and my dad, he, he taught me football. I was playing football since I was five years old mm-hmm. and I did athletics and then I went into martial arts and then I, I studied ballet contemporary and fitness was always there in some form. So when I was acting, I was doing a show, I would, we would do the show from like seven till 10 and then we'll go karaoke in Soho to four in the morning (laughs) and then we'll get up at two I do it again I go to the gym so eventually I I got qualified to do what I love during the day and that was just train and go to the gym and have a better sense of my own body through the knowledge of you know having the qualification and it could progress from there from doing one-to-ones and then teaching group fitness and teaching for some of the biggest studios in London and designing boot camps, and then Peloton slipped into my DMs and say, "Hey, <laughs> do you want to have a meeting about something?" And then it's all history from there. Yeah, when they messaged me, I wasn't really on social media, and it took a month before I checked my messages. Interesting. <laughs> yeah, it was literally a month, and I and I didn't know who Peloton were at the time, and I had to research it, and then I had coffee with Pete who's the head over here, and he just told me what they were about, and they were building the brand a bit more and expanding in the UK, and if I want to come in and just have like an interview with the camera. And yeah, I, the space of that first interview to when I got officially hired was mm-hmm. six months, I think. Wow. And then it was nine months until I was actually on the platform live with all the training and stuff. That's amazing. Wow. Yeah. And what does it feel like to be the face of a global movement? I'm a Peloton member myself. So you guys are like bona fide celebrities to us. <laughs> really, it's like I, I feel like there are just fan clubs and just folks that really, really love you. And what does that feel like to be representative of so many things, like so many aspirations and so many motivations of thousands and thousands of people every day? I do feel very lucky to be in this position because I think with every human being on earth, you just want to be seen, heard and valued. And especially coming from the entertainment industry, that is what a lot of people struggle with because you don't, you're constantly having rejection and rejection, rejection from the castings. And so with Peloton, 
it's lovely as well because you know there's a thing that in the monastery was try and be of service try and be of service and that will fulfill you if your service it gives you more meaning and I do feel like I am of service to whoever's on the other side you know taking the class even if it's just one person if I if I can make one person feel a little better about their day then you know that's that's a big tick in 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 my box and and it's such a, a a lucky thing to be able to do for people. That's great. Yeah. I want to dig in there on the monastery mm-hmm. thing. That's something I had read about you. So what I think you had originally planned to only go for a month and you wound up staying for almost a year. Mm-hmm. Can you talk more about like what led you to that decision? When did it even become an idea? And- so like I've always been curious about my Thai heritage and mm-hmm. I always felt it, there was something missing and something I didn't quite understand like we would do things, go to the temple and just do things around the temple. And I would no idea why I'd be doing it. It's just because my, my aunt told me, oh, you got to put this here, this here, you got to say this. So I just did it. I had no connection to, to what I was doing. And with monks as well, I always felt they were a source of knowledge because when I learned Thai in the temple, they taught me Thai. And I, I knew that trying to connect to my heritage, I would have to, in a sense, jump into the deep end and just leave what I was doing and be out of my comfort zone. I think we learn more when we're out of our comfort zone. And, and that's, that's partly what I did. And I stayed there for, I don't know, nearly a year because it was just so peaceful. It yeah. was so peaceful. And to be in an environment where everybody sincerely, generally wanted to listen to you, is a very strange thing because a lot of times in our lives, people are just waiting to talk. They're not really mm. listening. They're just mm. waiting to talk. And I just really felt that I was heard and any questions that I had, we would explore it, the question together. Can you walk me through a day in the life of Sam at the monastery? <laughs> a day in the life of Sam at the Street. So we would probably get up about four in the morning, wake up four in the morning, and which is great because when you get up at four in the morning, the sun is still rising and it's a positive start. It's like charging a battery. Your, your body's a battery. It charges when the sun comes up. And I would have a very cold shower. And I would say like a shower, it was just basically a, a tap and a big bucket and a smaller bucket. And you just dump, <laughs> you dump the cold water on top of you. <laughs> and that woke you up. <laughs> yeah. So from there, we'll go, I would go to the to the temple and do prayers and meditation and we'll give gratitude for, you know, for something greater than yourself and just be for just simply the abundance of life basically that's the first thing you do in the morning is just be thankful for the abundance of life and and then we'll go to the the village to give merit and offering so the villagers there they would wake up early they would make food for the monks and give it to you and you would bless them for their day so we're, we're giving service to each other and then we would take the food back and we would eat. And it was, it was amazing because it, it was, it's like when you're a kid and you have a packed lunch mm-hmm. and then you yeah. sit down with your friends at a table and you, you go, oh, what, what have you got today? What have you got today? It was like that, but with monks. <laughs> <laughs> and we will share food and we will talk. And it's just basically community building and just learning to listen to other people. And we would sit in a circle. I always remember that we always sit in a circle. So everyone's on the same level. So everyone could see each other as well. So after we eat, we'll, we, would learn, we have lessons. 
would have lessons. So I would learn scriptures and I would have to learn Thai as well a bit because my Thai wasn't as good. So I'd have to have Thai lessons as well. And just learning how that spirituality ties into your heritage as well and how unlocking and understanding of who you are at the same time. What do we do then? And then we'll eat for the last time about 11 o'clock in the afternoon. Mm-hmm. And I wouldn't eat again until literally the next morning. So we'll fast the whole time. And then we'll do chores and service and and chance, once again, just to chat and to read opportunities for self-growth. And, and sometimes we would visit other monasteries as well and mm-hmm. other monks and just to share information. And, and it was really strange as well because I was the only monk who was from a different country from the UK. Mm-hmm. So... They were like fascinated by me. Well, because in Thailand, it's like a rite of passage for for young folks, right? To do yes, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But they were really fascinated because they, I would be with individuals who've been monks literally 30, 40, 50 years of their life. And wow. basically know nothing but the monastery. But they were fascinated about my upbringing and my journey in, in the Western world. And what it was like in the Western world. and What were the things they were the most curious about? What did they find the most interesting about the outside world? Oh, so like they asked me things like, what food do you eat? And uh, have you ever met the queen? <laughs> I love that. That's huge. <laughs> yeah. And, um, and it's so funny because at the time I, I, I had my Superman tattoo. And when you're a monk, you call each other disciple. Mm-hmm. So I would call you disciple Raman. Uh, so everyone called me disciple Superman. Nice. <laughs> so literally around the monastery, I was known as Disciple Superman. <laughs> Bring a bit of geekiness and nerdiness to the monastery, me. <laughs> I love that. I love that. A little bit of these comics involved. Yes, exactly. Yeah. And you were there for about a year, you said? Yeah, about nine months. Yeah. Nine months. What's one of your most important memories from that time? What's an experience that really stands out to you? So I said one of the... The experience that stand out with me was we go through like a, a two-day ceremony where mm-hmm. you're cleansing your spirit and soul to kind of move on to the next level and like like thanking your parents basically for bringing you this far and now you're ready to grow. And my parents never really expressed how they felt of be, be becoming a monk. It was something I sprung on them. And I remember during the ceremony... Were your parents more okay with you going to be a monk or you being an entertainer? What was was better or worse in the hierarchy? They were more secure of me being a monk. I think there was more security in being a monk. (laughs) There's good good benefits. Yeah, okay. I got it. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) But I, I remember looking across the room and both my parents were crying in the ceremony. And I was like, oh my God, my, my parents are crying. What's, and I, I asked my cousin, asked them where they're crying. And they were just crying because they were so happy for what I was doing. And, and, and being Asian parents, they didn't really express, oh, we we're proud of you, you're doing this. But when I saw that, that image really s- stuck with me. And I, I felt, right, there's no turning back now because my parents want me to do this. <laughs> I can't get on the plane and go back. But that was the experience that I will never forget is, is my parents just crying and just mm-hmm. being proud of me doing this for myself and for my growth. It in the crazy of every single day, I just hearing about that routine repeated for months is just mm. unencumbered by the noise of the world. It just feels yeah. amazing. So I guess why'd you leave? <laughs> that sounds amazing. <laughs> I, I'd still be there. 
Um, I think it came to a time when I, I felt I had grown to the place I wanted to be. I, I had learned more than I thought I would learn being uh-huh. in a monastery, and yeah. I, I did. I did miss my parents, and I. But I just felt it was it was time to, to yeah. leave. And I remember my my teacher spoke to me about it. He said, "You know, it's okay to leave if you want to when your time or how you evolve within." the monastery and because he said there's there's some monks who've been monks for 30 years and all of a sudden one day just decide to leave he said don't feel guilty about leaving your journey where your path will take you Uh, and yeah what was it like coming back that must have been such a juxtaposition right of just like these two ways of life the the noise the hustle bustle of, of london mm-hmm. the day-to-day responsibilities rent <laughs> yeah. and no lunchtime with your friends given to I, you uh, by your neighbors what was that transition back to life like for you how did you yeah, handle that it, i remember it was very noisy and i thought the first month or so i just stayed at home just to get used to the noise i don't know and mm. it was strange as well because month after I came back, I was offered to do a show and I went in to do a, a West End show and my eyebrows hadn't grown back yet. So my friend who was in the show had to pencil my eyebrows in. So that was quite strange because <laughs> I went literally from the stage and the West End Broadway environment to the monastery. And then yeah. on the transition back, it was basically the same transition back. So I think I literally, like I did when I went into the monastery, was just just jumped into the deep end and just took myself out of that comfort zone again. Was it a painful re-entry back into the West End? It was just in society in general, it was a realization and an awareness that I could see how people interact with each other more and how Mm. it's not as respectful. And it was strange when people would talk to me, I would, I would just take a moment to pause to see how I should respond because it's a bit more direct. There was less patience as well. That's what I remember. People are less patient. And so I'm always curious about this, right? So as someone who has had spent a year in a place where it was basically utopia and a bubble in that way, mm-hmm. noticing how you respond to that, to those situations, I'm sure is, is, is a big insight of yours. But do you find yourself proactively taking actions that either help people to find compromises in those moments. Like I'm trying to understand if I were a monk and I've never been, but Mm. if I were to come back into the hustle and bustle of a city that is just a little more aggressive and Mm. less patient and more rude, how your presence maybe would change the dynamic in those situations. Mm. Did you notice anything like that happening? So what I noticed with myself was trying to understand people's perspectives more. So yeah. if you're in an argument with someone, it's, it is having the ability to take yourself out of that situation and see the other person's perspective of what, why they're angry, what experiences have led them up to this. And, yeah. and it's literally trying to take yourself out of the situation because well, we, everyone wants to be right, don't they? Yes, <laughs> and Even when you're wrong, you want to be right. But, but yep. it's having the ability, I feel I have a bit, a bit more now, is to, to step back. And to let it breathe and, and just to try and listen to the other person. Sure. Yeah. Sure. And and to have more empathy for their Yeah. For and them. yeah. Yeah. So you were handpicked by us for this show because I I read an article 
on the Peloton blog right around the time of when coronavirus was getting pretty mm -hmm. bad in the US and when there was just a lot of anti-Asian sentiment. And you wrote an article called The Places I Come From. Can you tell us a little bit about that story and that experience? Yes. Yeah, so when I was 10 years old, my dad and I were over the park playing football and on our way out, we passed a man and my dad, just being very friendly, said, evening. And this, this guy, he snapped back and he said, don't talk to me. And there was some racial slur shouted out. And I remember that because it was the first time I'd heard the phrase, go back to your country. Mm -hmm. I remember as a child being very confused. And that was my earliest memory of questioning, am I different? Right. And, and I know at that time, a lot of, in general, a, lo a lot of minorities hear that phrase. And that phrase sticks with you. Mm -hmm. it, it sticks with you. And we generally see ourselves through the perspective of others and how others view us. And especially right. as a child, because you're always emoting outwards to your parents. But I think once that incident happened, it made me look at myself in a different way. And I remember my dad, he couldn't really explain to me or he was, it was very difficult for him to try and explain to me what that meant. And he didn't want to smash this perspective of what I already had in myself or who I already was rather yeah. than perspective of what other people thought I was. And, yeah. and I just want to push on that a little bit because what struck me in that story when you were writing about it wasn't just the fact that you were told to go back to where you came from or which a lot of us have definitely encountered, your father actually got attacked yes. by that man. Yes. So, yeah, he, he started pushing my dad. And I really can't say why this man had this anger towards my father. Because uh, I was confused at the beginning because I thought my father knew him or there'd been something that happened mm -hmm. before. Right. But it wasn't. He was just someone who... I don't know, had, a, had a, a bad day somewhere else and just needed somebody or something to project that anger onto. And, you know, there we were, this Asian guy and his 10-year-old kid, the, the end of the 80s, walking out the park. And I remember as well, because he actually, I didn't put it in the article, but he had a dog as well. Wow. So I, I remember his dog just constantly barking, barking, barking. Mm. And all the time, I remember when I ran home, I was scared because I thought the dog might be chasing after me. But yeah, that was the thing that it was this dog barking and this man shouting. And my dad just telling me to just go home. Run home, yeah. It's We talk about the stages of grief, and, and I think they, they really do relate to trauma as well as someone who's... Mm had similar experiences as a child in, in the deep South in the States, there's that fear in the moment. And then there's anger and bargaining and depression and acceptance. How, and I think trauma and grief stays with you, loss of a loved one, a traumatic event. How, how long did it take you to process through? I'm sure you probably still are, but we're probably, we're fully realized adults. We've had experiences. We've seen the world. We know more now, mm -hmm. but how long did it take you to cycle through that? I, I, I think I think that's probably one of the the things that started the ball rolling of my identity, mm. and it started the ball rolling of wanting to, to discover more about myself and mm. where I was from and 
to move forward, you should know where you're from, the steps that are taken by you and by generations before you. Because it, 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 it's it, we're, we're the evolution of people who came before us. And that event was, that's why it's got the places I come from, because it's all these different places, all these different events that sculpt me to who I am today and to go into the monastery and wanting to pursue a career in the entertainment industry where we are so very underrepresented, but to, to prove that it is possible and to prove to myself that regardless of that, I love doing this and it is possible for people who are in my position to be successful. And you think of it in the fitness industry as well. You don't see any Asians or Southeast Asians on huge fitness posters or campaigns. Mm-hmm. Sure. Yeah. Um, the, uh, the idealized self is yeah. a majority looking person yes. in Western society. Yeah. yeah. We're and not that... for our bodybuilding skills usually. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> Speak for yourself, guys. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> and, and that's one of the things I'm very grateful with this platform and just to be seen, heard and valued mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. I could be the first face that Asian kid sees in the South of America or I'm in someone's home and the way I present myself and the way I show up, it's not just for myself, it's for the others that will follow me after I stop doing this. Yeah. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry, we were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchases, prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. When you were on your path to where you are today, can you tell us about a moment when maybe you walked into a casting room and you had to do something different to fit in because you don't look like the majority and you aren't a cookie cutter version of, mm. of what usually expected? Mm. There's so many times I've, I've done a, a casting and they've asked me to put an Asian accent on. Yeah, yeah. And you've got to look at it from the perspective of the majority of the writers as well who write the content. They're, they're coming from the, the perspective of their experience. And we don't mm-hmm. have a lot of Asian or Southeast Asian writers who can give us a voice. Mm-hmm. And that's where it is. It's finding individuals who can give the people who don't have the opportunity of voice. For like, for example, is, is, is Shang-Chi, which I saw, yeah. which I thought was really good. And you can tell there was an Asian voice production in the writing and in the creation because the nuances of the culture were there, but they weren't. Absolutely. They weren't, yeah, weren't hitting you over the head with it. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. They were just there. You, you didn't explain, oh, we do this because of this. This is this. Right. It was just right. there. And, and, and it, was, it was treated like it was the norm. Yeah, you know, and and that's and that's what we need is is to have stories, which 
tell our stories, but it's treated as the norm. Well, and I think the importance of that, a lot of people talk about representation and it be a uh, black kid seeing uh, Black Panther or mm. Miles Morales, Shang-Chi and Asian kids seeing an Asian superhero. That's important. It mm. absolutely is. But I think equally important, if not more important, is the majority audiences or the non-minority audience mm. seeing that nuanced representation, that it's not all funny accents in Kung Fu, mm. right? Or or rap battles or whatever the stereotypes are, right? Mm. Some stereotypes exist for a reason, but like the nuanced explanation of the thing I loved about Shang-Chi is Sean shows up as just a dude that's slacking off and trying to yeah. get through life at the beginning of the movie. Yeah. I relate so hard to that yeah. <laughs> before. And, and he takes his shoes off when he comes home. Sure, I, I relate to that as well. But as a non-Chinese person, it helped me relate to him and say, oh, mm-hmm. you guys aren't so different from me. And I yeah. think that's equally important for majority audiences to see that. Yeah. It's it's seeing the person. Yeah. It's seeing the person, yeah. And and like I said, in in in, the, in that story, you saw the person. He was slacking. And we, you know, like you said, we've all done that. <laughs> Yeah. My, my favorite part is when I think it happens multiple times in the movie, it's like, we need to prepare, we need to rest. This amazing thing is about to happen. And then they go out and party. Yeah. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. Karaoke <laughs> all night. <laughs> yeah. Now that you are in this world with Peloton and, and fitness, what is the role? And there is an, uh, a meaningful entertainment aspect and a motivation aspect to what you're doing. But do you feel the pull of your traditional entertainment roots? Would you want to go back? Is there a part you're itching? But what is the future? Or uh, is it still being written? It's still being written. And the thing is, like, I I always feel like I'm making it up as I'm going along. Yeah. And I always feel like I've got more questions than I do answers, which is a good thing, I think. If you're constantly asking questions about yourself or and where you're going. But I do add an element of my entertainment background into into my sessions and class but for me I, I always try to make it a very sound fitness class and then add the little nuances and nuggets and saying things like right guys we're going to climb this hill like the power of gray skull and things like that <laughs> yeah exactly i'll add my personality to it and and, and add these little layers to what is a, a good fitness class and when i do watch stuff and i think oh maybe one day i'll go back into the acting industry and and hopefully have more opportunities because I think there are more minorities now being cast in more projects. And for me personally, one of the reasons why I took a step back was because I was constantly getting the same things. I've, like, I've said this before, but I think I've played like four or five different ninjas in my career. <laughs> it's true. So, yeah. <laughs> I'd love to do something. You ever watch The Witcher? Yeah. Yeah, I, I don't know, I'd love to do something like The Witcher. I wouldn't want to do something which is like Oscar-worthy. I want to do something that I can have fun doing. And you just want to hang like, out with Henry Cavill. I get it. Uh, yeah, I get exactly. It. I, yeah, the, I, the I real suit, man. <laughs> yeah. Here's what, I, here's what I hate, man. And I'm going to pick on uh, your all of your countrymen, the UK. You guys keep, because of your amazing and superior acting chops, keep taking the roles of the all-American characters. Be it <laughs> Rick, the sergeant from Walking Dead, Superman... Yeah. Right. <laughs> Even in like Battlestar Galactica, the fighter pilot, Spider-Man is a Brit yeah. right now. Come on, man. The last, yeah, Spider-Man was a Brit before. Batman was a Brit before. <laughs> yeah. I feel, I feel like this is just cultural revenge since we uh, since we won the Revolutionary War. 
You just you're <laughs> taking our pop culture heroes, or you're you're taking them from us, and you're doing a better job than we could, frankly. <laughs> <laughs> so I have a nerdy question, totally not related to movies or anything else. I've always been curious to know how Peloton instructors choose their playlists. So oh. <laughs> So when you're thinking of a workout, how are you selecting the songs that we're going to be riding to? So that's a difficult, it, it depends. So I sometimes hear a song and I shazam it. So I can be in the middle of a shopping center and I'll hear a song. Oh, this is a really good song. This would be good for this. And I'll shazam it. And then I'll have that one song and I'll build the place around that one song. Yeah. Or if I have a fitness focus class when it's about timing and fitness, it's more about the structure so the songs have to just be something that keeps you going. If I, I did, I did a 60 minute rock ride mm-hmm. and I knew even before I started that playlist that the last song was going to be the 10 minute version of battle hell. Uh-huh. <laughs> so uh-huh. then I built the journey backwards from battle hell. And then I thought, you know, I, I listened to it and with me, my music has to flow. So it feels yeah. like it's it's constantly moving because I know sometimes you hear a track which is great and then it will stop and then another song will start. It doesn't quite gel with the last one. Sure. Yeah. yeah. So it's like a good DJ. A good DJ yeah. knows how to like mix it in, right? So it's yeah. right on the beat. Yeah. yeah. And uh, so like playlists and like when I do my low impacts because I love a lot of like soul Motown and all the the more cl- classical music from the seventies and sixties. I I put a lot of those in because. It's just an excuse to, to listen to the music and write to it, which not a lot of people do. And I, I, I love listening to, you know, a bit of Motown as I'm peddling. And it, it just, I don't know, it just, you just lose yourself in the music and, and the rhythm and the tempo. Yeah. Hmm. Do you ever find like, because I'm a bit of a music nerd uh, on top of like my comic book geekery, do you ever find yourself almost going into thematics? So I don't know, just like it's it's not just about the tempo or the mood, but it's what the song is saying to what the moment is about. Yeah, definitely. When we have to program a bit more of the theme classes, mm-hmm. you know, I'll look into the lyrics and, and it's nice as well because sometimes on the platform, you can feel like you're talking so much. Yeah. So yeah. it's really nice when you have a song when I'll say like, guys, we're just going to let this song breathe. Yeah. And just listen yeah. to the lyrics just take you. Uh, and we're about talking over the lyrics and just and the thing is, we can enjoy the composition and what the artist wanted from their song. I, I obsess over this. So Sharon knows I have a, a secret third nerdy podcast about comic books. Yeah. And my co-host, who's a reporter, he's a little more serious and dark than me. But for every book that we do, I'm always looking for the perfect song for it. Like I probably spend far too much time on the music for this podcast. <laughs> so for yeah. example, we're planning for... Uh, and there's some thematic. So like Chinese New Year's will be in February soon. And it's the year of the tiger. And I've already decided that I don't even know what we're reading by Jean Lin Yang. But Eye of the Tiger is Eye going to be the song. <laughs> I knew you would say that. <laughs> and I know it's cliche in your world, but in like comic book geek land, it, it, not so much. So I was trying to find the the goofiest cover of it as well. <laughs> yeah. So. There's, there was a cover. It was had a bit more of a dance beat to it. I've used it before. It yeah. was... I have a tiger, but there was an animation called Turbo, the snail. It's on that soundtrack. But it's a cover of I have a tiger. So have a look at that. Yeah, Absolutely. We're going to put that in the show notes for sure. Yeah, we're going to find it. And Remen can use it for his episode. Yeah, it was Turbo, the animation that like, it was like a, a very speedy snail. And it, it, it was on that soundtrack. I remember. That's, that's fantastic. Yeah. So great. Have you ever had a music artist 
contact you after you had done it, like a theme workout class about them to thank you for that or anything? Sometimes when I do uh, like Broadway musicals and stuff like that, I've had some of the, the composers reach out and say, thank you for doing it. It's really nice to hear the music on the platform. And I never knew I could work out to, 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 to my music, <laughs> but you made it work. <laughs> Who knew that you could work out to Les Miserables? But, oh, yeah. Funny. <laughs> Yeah, I did. I did a ride the other day. It was like a Disney theme song ride. And I was like, I just have to like see if this works. And it was so awesome. I'm like on it and I'm singing to like the Little Mermaid. And yeah. it was so much fun. Yeah, it was a, the, Disney on, the Disney on Broadway one I did. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's really fun. So who did mom and dad want you to marry one day? Or who did they want you to date when you were growing up? I think my mom and dad just want me to get married. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> because especially in asia all my, my all my cousins in thailand they're all married and stuff and it's a very very different lifestyle there you grow up you study you get married you have kids and it's a norm over there so whenever i used to go back to thailand they used to ask so, so when are you going to get married when you're going to settle down but you, you could be settled and for me and, and not be married but yeah <laughs> So the pressure continues. Your parents pretty much called us and asked us to do this podcast. Yeah, did they? I see. I see. It's a long con. It's a long con, Sam. (laughs) Well, it's interesting because you have such a unique perspective and background. And so many people assume my wife is exactly like me. And she is Mm. not. She is, Mm. if anything, the polar opposite. Do you think the ideal partner is someone who's closer to you or further away from you? So my other half, she is... I would say almost a bigger nerd and geek than I am. <laughs> so like how so? She, but like she like she could like quote Lord of the Rings. Got and, it. the original know, Elven. Got it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. But she's extremely intelligent. <laughs> which is not like me. <laughs> yeah. But it's nice to be with someone who when I go, oh, yeah, let's go and see Dune. It's three hours. And they're like, yeah, let's go and see it. <laughs> yeah, I had to I had to sneak out on my own. My wife Did was you? like, yeah, she, she wasn't having it, but totally worth it. Yeah, and because she never read the books before. So, so after the film, she's like, oh, that was really good. And I was explaining to her the whole mythology of the different houses in Dune. And mm-hmm. we, we, we went down the, the YouTube rabbit hole and just watching all these Dune videos. <laughs> <laughs> so are mom and dad happy? That there's yes, moments some, are happy. Perfect. Yeah. They're satisfied. Yes. <laughs> Great. So if we were to go back to the little boy that was growing up around so many different cultures and races with his friends, what would you tell the younger version of yourself? I would I would tell him that the path you're gonna take is always gonna have left turns, right turns, stops. But if you constantly keep moving, everything's gonna be all right. That's I great like advice. That. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Spoken like a cycling instructor. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. Just keep so moving. So Just keep moving. Just keep going forward. Just keep going. Just keep you, you might not actually be moving because you're just watching. The, right. Keep watching That's the screen true. and listening to the sick beats that keep playing. Moving your legs. 
Well, Sam, this was such a pleasure to spend this time getting to know you better. And I think a lot of us who are listening probably feel like we already know you because you come into our living rooms, our garages, anywhere where there's a bike. But it was so great to, to talk and actually get to know you. And I think you have earned a speed round. Are you ready for speed round? A speed round. Okay. Let's do this. I don't know what this is, but let's do this. <laughs> let's no do one's it. ever ready for speed round. No, they're not. But I have, I think you can handle this. What is something about you that no one expects? That no one expects. My real name is not Sam. What's your real name? I'll tell you off air. What's funny is I, I knew you were such a big nerd and we've established that off the air. So I just thought you were going to go there and wow, you just, that's my, my alter ego. Nice. <laughs> nice. Superman, Superman, yo, got it. <laughs> Sam, if that's your real name, what is, a, <laughs> what is a book or movie that has characters that you relate to? Oh, well, I always loved growing up George's Marvelous Medicine. Cause he, hmm. he yeah, I just loved his exploration and his craziness. And I think growing up as a kid, I was quite like that. I was just trying to do so many different things. But yeah, for me, I know it's not that deep, but I, that's, that's just the first thing that sprung to my mind was George's Marvelous Medicine by Roald Dahl. Yeah, that's great. Yeah. What is your go-to song? We talked a lot about music, so Ooh, what's your go-to it depends, song that you depends, like? depends what is the occasion. Okay, say more. What does so that mean? <laughs> if, it's, if I'm if, to get me pumped up, mm-hmm. to make me feel like I could run through a a brick wall with no problem, it's probably Stan Bush. <laughs> the touch, great, it transforms the movie. Nice. <laughs> and what about winding down? Oh, winding down. I I I like to listen to a lot of Ella Fitzgerald and Neil Simon. Yeah especially to wind down on a Sunday. It's really nice. Just having yeah. her voice in the back. What's your favorite mom dish? My favorite mom dish? That's really difficult because my mom's a chef. Gosh, that's really difficult. Well, get, think about it this way. You, maybe you haven't seen your mom for a while. I don't know. You were at a monastery okay. for several months and you came home and mom's going to cook you one dish. What's that dish you want when you get home after so long? She- <laughs> She would cook me, this is going to sound really bad as, as Asian, but she would cook me steak and potatoes. <laughs> she would do that because she knows that I, I would just eat it all up. Yeah, I just called the Asian police. I've revoked both of your I know, uh, I know, I, know. <laughs> I, I told you growing up, I was very confused about my heritage. <laughs> but she makes some, a, a great steak and potatoes and, and, and vegetables. How do you take your <laughs> yeah. steak? Medium, medium. All right, all right. Medium. Yeah, Sounds like too. a healthy person to me. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> what is your least favorite food? So with me, it's always the texture. So I know I, I love tomato ketchup, but I don't like tomatoes because of the texture of tomatoes or like stuff like oysters. So with me, it's generally like the texture, which I don't like about the food, N- not the taste. But I think if I had to choose one, it's probably liver. Mm. Yeah, I, I remember my 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 grand gave me liver when I was younger, and and I didn't like it, and I, and I've been scarred ever since. <laughs> <laughs> Who's someone out there that you would want on a podcast? Ooh, oh, this is tough. There's so many. So, I would 
love to interview Hugh Jackman. I would love to interview Ranveer Singh, who's a Bollywood star. I would love to interview Emily Blunt, because I think she's amazing. And what all the interviews I've seen where she's, she's fun. If you could only ask those three people the same question, what would you ask them? Can I be your best friend? (laughs) (laughs) Sam, that's, I'm going to reveal a secret. That's why we do this podcast. (laughs) Can I be your best friend, Sam? Can I be your best friend? (laughs) And final question, Sam, or whatever your real name is. What does being a modern minority mean to you? It means just being who you are. And embracing your heritage, the people that come before you and opening doors for the the ones to follow. That's a great answer. Thank you so much for your time and your wisdom and your energy. We really, really loved meeting you today. Thank you. Thank you for having me. And that's our show. Like what you heard? Please subscribe, leave a review, and a five-star rating on your favorite podcasting platform. Now more than ever, people need to be hearing these stories. Please share our show with a friend or three. Want to learn more or got something to share? Visit modmypod.com or email us, hi mom, at modmypod.com. You can also follow us on Instagram and Twitter at modminpod. We'd love to hear from you. That's it for now. I've been Ramin Segal. And I'm still Sharon Lee Tony. Remember, we're all modern minorities out there. We'll talk to you soon. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, avoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.